Actually, it is the lesson. I, I didn't want Mark to have to put stigmatization on the sign, so we went with scum. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 9, the Apostle Paul, in writing to Christians who were living in Corinth, he was, in this particular passage, sarcastically making his point that while they were puffed up and they were judging themselves to be righteous, they were judging themselves to be important, they were judging themselves uh, to be the beautiful people, uh, and he's contrasting that with the reality of what the Christian life is, and uh, so as he looks at himself and Apollos, as he looks at the other apostles, he, he says to them, well, in, in reality, uh, God has just decided to make us an exhibit for the world. We, we've become a spectacle, he said, to the whole universe, to, to the angels in heaven, to human beings in this world. We're just a spectacle. As a matter of fact, he said, in the eyes of the world, though, though you're saying, we are rich, so well, good for you, we're, we're poor, Paul said. Let, let me tell you something, Paul said. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world. That's, that's the reality of our stewardship. And so this morning I want to talk about what's happening in the Western world for just a moment and uh, talk about the stigmatization of Christianity. And the first thing I want to say to you is, if you think that what's happening culturally to Christians uh, as our, our culture, our society is becoming more and more hostile to the idea of God and Christianity, and, and people are saying unkind things about us, and sometimes people hurt our feelings, and sometimes people do evil against us. I, I'm saying to you this morning, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul said, that's the way it is, from the perspective of the world. Well, he said, we have become a spectacle to the world. That, that particular word, that we have a lot of words that come from the same root when we talk about looking for our specs or we talk about uh, uh, the spectacular event, something that was really worth seeing. We're, we're talking about something that has to do with vision, you, something you see, a show, a theater. Paul said, God has made us an exhibit to the world. We, we have become, in a sense, a public show. The, the same idea was used by the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 10, though a different word. He said, the, the reality is sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, publicly exposed. I, I'm saying to you folks, if the American culture continues this course of becoming more and more hostile toward Christians, 
we're finding ourselves not in some strange and unusual place for the people. We're finding ourselves right where the early Christians found themselves many years ago. And so Paul said, we have become, as it were, the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. We, we have become the most abject and despicable men. You, you notice how this culture is turning, turning values upside down? And the things that are, are debased, the things that are evil, the things that are nasty, those things suddenly are becoming the things that are honored and exalted and protected and things that are good and wholesome and righteous. Those things are becoming the very things that the culture is attacking. And I'm saying to you, that lest we think that we are being put upon in some unusual way, the likes of which God's people have never seen in the 20 centuries since Christ died on Calvary, I'm suggesting to you that we need to understand that from the beginning, from the first century, Paul said, I want to tell you how the world really sees us. They look at us as if, we're the scum of the earth, the garbage of this world. <laughs> we bear the stigma of Christ. I started to, uh, I started to bring some, some copies of the uh, Renaissance painting of the stigmata, you know, of the Lord. The stigmata, you know, when, when Christ is shown after his resurrection with the stigmata, you can always see they have a big a big wound right in the middle of his hand, which, of course, is not exactly where the nails would have been driven, but that's okay. Uh, they, they had the wound here and the wound here, and they would show the blood as it's going, the stigmata. What is, what is it? It is the mark of the persecution, the mark of punishment. It was the mark in Christ, the mark of the nail prince. It wasn't until 10 centuries later that... Christians began to develop this idea of bearing in their own body the stigmata in a miraculous way. Do you know who was the first one to do that? It was Francis of Assisi, who claimed to have the stigmata after a prayer experience. But in any event, I I'm saying to you, the word stigma means a mark or a puncture. And it came to be a mark or a puncture that wasn't a good thing. It was a mark of disgrace. It was a mark of derision. It was a mark of persecution. And so in New Testament times, those who were stigmatized, those who bore a stigma very often were prisoners. They were slaves. They were those who belonged to a particular class of people that were looked down on. And the Apostle Paul is saying, that's where we are. That's who we are. Because we are followers of Christ, this is the way the world sees us. Our Christianity has become a stigma that we bear in this life. Now, I, I will 
remind you in the book of Acts how this all developed. When Christianity first began on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the gospel is first being preached, there was broad acceptance of Christ and the gospel, a lot of enthusiasm, not only from the 3,000 that obeyed that day, but the apostle, uh, I mean, the apostle Peter preached that day, the other apostles preached, the gospel continued to be preached. Acts 2 and verse 47 says that the Christians were having favor with all the people. Having favor with all the people. Wow, can you imagine that? Living in a place, in a city, in an environment where the gospel is being preached and all the people are respectful of it. They, they're impressed by that in a positive way. Chapter 5 and verse 13 says that they were being held in high esteem by the citizens of Jerusalem at that time. But that didn't last too long because by the time you get to the fourth chapter, the Sadducees are already, uh, already backing up a little bit because of this teaching about the resurrection of Christ. Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection they did not believe in that spiritual stuff. They were secularists. They were materialists. They, they saw the promises of God being fulfilled in subsequent generations, not in some life after death. And, and they, they really wanted to put a stop to this teaching about a resurrection, but, you know, the crowd still, the majority of the people... Well, there was broad acceptance at this point. And so the majority of the people weren't there with it. They were beginning to oppose it, but only the Sadducees. But in time, in time, that group of activists, they were bearing their mark. And now it wasn't just the Sadducees, but now the Pharisees and the Sadducees are getting excited because... There's this preaching about the Christ and this spiritual body and this spiritual temple and, and this teaching that, uh, that the temple of Jerusalem and the temple of Moses is not the temple of God. And, and now, instead of there being just, you know, always somebody who doesn't like it, now it's becoming more and more who are speaking out against this preaching of the Christ and the preaching of the resurrection, and the preaching of the gospel. And now both the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the majority of the Jews are revolting against it. And so Peter, I mean Stephen, is going to be arrested. And he's going to stand before the Sanhedrin. And he is going to give his defense. There, there's going to become a general rejection of Christianity by society at large. And I mean by that that the activism of the Jews will spill over into the Roman culture. And this, this repudiation of the gospel is no longer just a religious thing. It is a social thing. It is a political thing. And now you have not just the Sadducees, not just the Pharisees, not just the Jews, but now you have the Roman and Greek population that is rising up and losing patience with this preaching that there is only one true God. 
and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that there's no other name under heaven whereby men must be safe. Society at large is beginning to rise up now in opposition to this and Roman government officials are beginning to weigh in against the gospel and finally there is persecution by the Roman government. There is an all-out attack against Christianity by the Roman government and in the book of Revelation, in John's Revelation, he is going to paint the picture for us of the rising up of the beast and the evil that is going to be endured by the saints because of it. Well, Peter in his epistle is really mapping out the same thing. When Peter writes the letter or the epistle of 1 Peter, he is writing to a group of Christians who are dispersed, but he says, among other things, I I want to write unto you and encourage you in your suffering. And then throughout the epistle, we get some pretty good ideas of their sufferings. He said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, that there were those in that first century world who were speaking against you as evildoers. That is to say, in the Greco-Roman world of the first century, by the end of the first century, Christians were being spoken against. We would call that fake news. They, They were on the receiving end of lies. They were... They were being accused of not honoring Caesar. They were being accused of being against marriage. Isn't that an interesting thing? That they would be accused of being against marriage. They would be accused of breaking up families. Men, Roman men in particular, did not like the teachings of Christianity and how it changed their wives if they became Christians. They didn't like it at all. It caused all kinds of domestic problems for them. There was social hostility. That was one of the early responses that began to turn the tide against the Christians. Then Peter says in chapter 3 and verse 16 that they were going to be slandered and their good behavior was going to be reviled. He said in chapter 4 they're going to be maligned and insulted by those who are unbelievers. And he said, finally, you are going to be blessed in your suffering, not if you suffer as an evildoer. If you suffer as an evildoer, you deserve the suffering. He said, the fact of the matter is, the time is going to come when you're going to suffer just because you are a Christian. Because the world is going to see you as refuse as garbage. You are going to be stigmatized if you bear the name of Christ in your life. So what are Christians supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 in your text. 
In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, beginning in verse number 14, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, blessed are you. And don't be afraid. You see that? What does Peter say to these Christians who who are living in this culture that day by day and year by year and election by election, okay, they didn't have elections, but you get the idea. One emperor after another, it's just getting worse. It's getting worse. What, What are Christians supposed to do? The very first thing Peter says to them is, but even if you should suffer, For righteousness' sake, don't be afraid. God has always told his people. You don't have any reason to be afraid. I am your God, and you are my people. You don't have any reason to be afraid. And Isaiah, actually, Peter is quoting from Isaiah chapter 8 here, verse 12. In the context, he's talking about the Assyrian the Assyrian invasion of the northern kingdom. And uh, the, <laughs> the reaction of the people, and many of them were going to become scared, and they're going to start creating alliances, and down in the south in, in Judah, they're going to have a pro-Egyptian party and a pro-Syrian party, and, and, and everybody's going to want to make alliances with somebody because they're scared. And God said to his people through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, don't be afraid like they are afraid. And Peter is borrowing those same words. And he's saying to Christians, when you are suffering for righteousness sake, don't be afraid. And one of the first things I would tell you is, I I don't know, I don't have a crystal ball. I, I don't know where we're going in the next decade or two or three. I don't know. But I can tell you this with all confidence. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We are the children of God. He is our Father. He is our God. We have no need to be afraid or troubled. He said in verse 15, Don't be afraid, neither be troubled, but sanctify in your hearts. In your hearts, he said, you sanctify, you honor Jesus Christ as Lord. Here's what you need to do. As you are dealing with a world that is becoming increasingly godless, don't be afraid. You remain holy. You keep Jesus first in your life. Somebody says, well, people don't like it. No, they don't like it. We're we're being stigmatized because we're talking about Jesus. Then bear the stigma. Bear the mark. Don't be afraid. You're a child of the king. Stand up and act like it. And he said, you need to be ready always to give answer to every man that asks you a reason concerning the hope that is in you. Here's what you need to do. In a culture 
that seems to be turning against Christians? First of all, stand up and be who you are. Don't be afraid. Secondly, don't back up. Don't cower. Don't run away. You keep Jesus first in your heart. You sanctify Jesus Christ as Lord. And you prepare yourself to defend what you believe. Ladies and gentlemen, it matters in the world in which we live, in a culture that is unbelieving. It matters whether or not we are able to logically and rationally and sensibly give an answer to people who ask us, why do you believe that? It matters. And Peter is saying to these Christians, look, you are living your life with faith and hope you're bearing the name of Christ in your life. You're stigmatized because of that. And yet in every decision you're making, Christ is first in the decision that you make. People are marveling at you, and they're asking, where does that come from? Why are you doing that? Why do you believe that? Peter said, be ready always. Be ready always to give an answer, to make a defense to anyone who asks you about the hope that resides within you. Yet, he said, you answer them with meekness and fear, with gentleness and respect. It's not enough to have the right answer. Peter said, you be ready with the right answer and give it with the right attitude. Yes, but they were being ugly and sarcastic and they were lying about me they had slandered you answer with gentleness and respect yes but they were not being gentle it's not about who they are and it's not about what they were doing it is about who you are act like it Peter said you belong to Christ you are a child of the king when you open your mouth, you are speaking words of truth and wisdom. Do that with gentleness and respect. And then he said, and be sure that having a good conscience wherein you're spoken against, they may be put to shame who revile your good manner of life in Christ. You live, Peter said. You live in a way that those who are maligning you, they are slandering you, they are lying about you, they are publishing all kind of fake news about you. You live in a way that would put to shame the things they are saying and doing. You practice what you preach. Let your walk be consistent with your talk. You're not just telling them the way, you're showing them the way. How are we supposed to live in a culture that is just absolutely filthy and ungodly? 
And Peter said, you live just like this. Don't be afraid. You keep Jesus first. You be ready and prepared to give an answer for what you believe. Defend it. When you engage the opposition, you speak with gentleness and respect. And be consistent. Practice what you preach. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, it is better if it is God's will, it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That's the message. And so this morning, as we come to the end of this calendar year, it's a time when most of us reflect on life. We look back over the past year. We think about all those resolutions we started the year with, all the things we were determined to do, the way we were going to live Now we're to the end of the year. We're looking back. We're looking around us. We're seeing the political situation. We're seeing the moral situation. We're seeing the insults and the slander and the lies against Christianity. And we ask ourselves, what are we supposed to do here? And as we go into this next year, we do so with faith and conviction and resolution. We are not afraid. We are the people of God. We bear in our bodies the reality of Jesus Christ. We live for Him. We speak for Him. We go forth into the world for Him. We are preparing ourselves to defend and give answer to anyone who asks us as to why we're living this way. And we are determined day by day to make choices and decisions that are consistent with the words we proclaim, with the Christ we uphold. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, what a wonderful time for you to become a child of God. If you have never confessed your faith in the Lord Jesus, and put on Christ in baptism, you can do that this morning. If you're a child of God, and you have determined in your heart that you need to come home to the Lord, we bid you come right now while we stand and sing.